up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. The f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown. Hello, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Amos, Brett Weber on the board. SP futures uh, down six, the NSA futures down 67, Dow futures down up 11. And I can say is it's better than it was earlier. So there we go. Everything is relative in this world, Kevin, wouldn't you say? Yeah, except my relatives, and they're not relative to anything. Um, <laughs> taking a shot at the family at this hour of the morning already. You open their head. Uh, it doesn't matter. Nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> or, or, or what I can say about my relatives, and most of them are already in the grave. So I don't think oh, well, okay. they might be listening. But I don't know, can they can they come back and get me from the from up there? Are, I don't you, know. are you telling us something happened to Dan? Uh, well, no, he's around. But the the group above us is. Well, as a matter of fact, we. Uh, the last one of the the last one standing of the original generation. My grandmother's gang died three weeks ago at 102 at Columbus. Wow! Yeah, what a what a nice lady, boy. That's, yeah. that's that's seeing a lot of change in your lifetime. And I'm going to say that she was totally coherent till the last day. Cool. Not a, not a smidge of Alzheimer's or anything like that all along the line. And I think she was fine and you hope, doesn't it? Yeah, fine and ready to. Ready to take on every day till the last day, and uh, you know it's hard to hard to. Uh, matter of fact, I went to she and a friend of hers uh, celebrated their 90th birthday together in a big party, and we went down to Columbus for it. And uh, her friend had been a, uh, a serious um, whatever they whatever they were a whack or a wave in the nur the nurse group in the in the hospital ships in the South Pacific, and uh, what a terrific lady she was. I mean, those, those people uh, did stuff. Okay, hey, you know, um, there, there isn't anybody that should live that long that doesn't get to tell the life story. Oh, I know. It's uh, yeah. It, but I mean, she. Uh, well, my my aunt didn't do that, or my great aunt. But I'm, so I'm, I'm guessing the other lady had a little more of a story to tell. But uh, you know, none of those. It's uh, when you, when you look at some of the things about you know women's rights and so forth. And, you know, uh, I would say that the way those ladies basically got screwed out of every everything in the GI Bill and all that stuff in those days, none of them got anything the guys did. Uh, it was really awful when <laughs> you think about it. <clears throat> and, you know, plus my mom saying that why, why, why only get the guys get to play sports? Women, women need to like to play sports, too. What's the, what's the difference? And I'm like, hey, ma'am, I don't know. Because she always liked doing stuff. Uh, you, know, you just wonder why it even... 
why it took so long. But I can't. I mean, it's it's stunning to me that that the uh, you know the women that spent four years, you know, and, and, and what did Lou talk about? They they spent a couple of years after the war going around digging up the mass graves and, and identifying the corpses. Those people never got education either. And what the hell? <coughs> it, that was pretty bad. <laughs> same same damn job, same time. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, if you weren't serving in the armed forces. You were uh, you were serving. Yeah, you were doing something. And uh, you know, it's funny. The lady who was the at, at Pullman, she was like the assistant to the plant manager. And uh, what a spectacular lady! And uh, evidently, she was a welder during the war. And uh, and and <laughs> she said to me, she goes, she goes, I did it because I had to, and I was young, and I could I could do it for a while. She goes. That's a man's job. She goes, I'm 100 pounds. <coughs> you know, carrying pieces of metal around all day. I did it because other people were fighting, and I did what I had to. She goes, but that's not my job. That's your guy's job. <laughs> it, you know, it's funny. I mean, it, she, had a, she had an amazing view of the world, and that, that's, that's, not, that's, not what, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why you guys are stronger than us. And, uh, you know, it, you know it's, it was a different blue-collar kind of world, but a lot of people did a lot of stuff that they, you know, weren't necessarily uh, designed to do. Let's put it that way. You know, they uh, at Pullman they made tanks for the the British before the war. They were already making. That's one of the reasons when the, the you know the whole idea that uh, we were totally clueless on any kind of war footing until Pearl Harbor is total BS. We were we were well on our way to having plants and so forth already doing stuff because we were selling munitions to the British and the French. We certainly weren't on the war footing. We would be on a year and a half later, but it wasn't like we were absolutely doing nothing. You know, the, the, that Pullman wasn't already doing uh, tanks and some landing craft testing out in Lake Calumet and so forth. They already were. So, I mean, it's, as usual, the, the, you know, the, the legend isn't exactly the facts, uh, as they say. But uh, this morning it's interesting. Bank of England's causing some issues here because they are, they're now they're going to, Intervene in the bond market because their bonds are flying south, and their interest rates are going up because of the uh, allegedly going to um, lower taxes for the rich. And I don't know if that's going to make it through or not. They're going to they're thinking about reconsidering that. So this morning we've got the uh, uh, well the pound's getting hammered again. It's down to 106, and the euro dollar is down to uh, not euro dollar the the European dollar is down to 95. So. Foreign currencies are getting hammered, and the, so now the Bank of England saying they're going to they're going to start pouring more money into the system, which is exactly what the pound doesn't want to hear, uh, because now they are doing exactly the opposite of what our guys are saying they're doing. And if all these years we've talked about on the show, not just because we talked about it, it was happening, of the the incredible coordination between all these central banks pouring money into the system, well now they're starting to fight each other, and it's a mess. I mean, it is an absolute mess, and I don't. I don't know how we get, and then all, if you listen to Tout Radio or Tout TV yesterday, all they were doing is ragging on Paul now. Should he be fired? Should he be this? Kevin, he's done whatever they asked him to do, either administrations. I was going to say, if he should have been fired, he should have been, if he should be fired, he should have been fired years ago. Well, I mean, he, he. I mean, he's not, you know, now what's the problem? Yeah. The, well, pro- the problem is, you know, he's trying to, un- he has the task of getting out of the problem that he uh, helped help cause, um, but if he, if you're firing somebody, cause you know fire him for causing the problem in the first place, not for what he's doing now. Well, the question came up on one of the shows of uh, Sullivan, Brian Sullivan's show, and he 
He is how how is it that that Janet Yellen is swimming just swimming along like if this is a this is a fair day in the summertime? I mean, she was part of all this. Went and then made her seven million dollars. Now she's the secretary of the treasury. I mean, I I think I think you need to you need to look back. And I, I remember the I remember the day, but that he in in late 2018 he started to pull back on some of the monetary largesse. The stock market had their their temper tantrum, and, and immediately Trump like called him to the White House and waterboarded him or something. And he came out and started pouring money back in the system. So then, you know, exit Trump, enter Biden, and he comes in with all his spending plans. Plus, we had the COVID, and we're going to send all this money out. I mean, Trump sent out checks to people and, and companies, and they just printed the money. And Biden <laughs> sent out checks to people and companies, and they just printed the money. He did exactly what they wanted him to do. So, I mean, if, if you know, Trump... Yeah, you know, and, and you could have, given given the, the decisions that we made to close the economy, you probably could have justified it the first time around. And I'm not making this a Trump-Biden thing. It's, you know, I think they were both... They both really bleeped things up. But... Um, but the second one, it was pretty darn hard to make the case that it was even necessary or the or, or a right thing to do. Uh, but you know what? We we promised. We promised them cash. We promised a goodies for a goodie bag for everybody at the uh, at the end of the party. So and the party was the election. So got to deliver. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Trump was pissed off that the Congress didn't go along with his second check, right? Or wasn't as big as he. Um, you want to be? I, I think there was. I, I'm trying to remember how that unfolded because we did. They did a small check, yeah, uh, instead of the whole thing. And yeah, I don't know if uh, if, if that was uh, Trump was part of that or not. Uh, I, I just don't remember now. I think the Congress cut it back from what two grand to twelve hundred or the whole mess. Just the whole whole disaster. But the uh, well, I think the the issue obviously comes when you don't have you know the, the rainy day fund. It's I remember, boy, I remember these conversations like they were yesterday, and they weren't a long, long time ago, before even the, the 2000 fiasco. I mean, uh, you know, Jan and I were driving to work one day, and <laughs> he says, what are you, what are you uh, sitting there thinking about? And I said, you know, Jan, we've never seen it this good. This is before the 2000. Uh, I said, we've never seen it this good. The, the economy is, is flying along. You know, Clinton's got the, the surplus, allegedly, and all this stuff, and Illinois is still in a deficit. I said it's never going to get any better. <laughs> if you if you can't balance stuff today, what are we going to do when it gets lousy? <laughs> and, and we know we we did we got lousy. We were totally broke, right? Uh, you know we still have General Motors can't get people to work. If you're not coming to work, leave. But I'm not, I'm not I'm not saying that everybody who you know can, there's a lot of people now that have figured out they can certainly justify a day or two at home if all they do is is with clients and all the other stuff, but I mean, let's let's call it out what's going down. An awful lot of people have side hustles that they're working for somebody else or doing something else while they're supposed to be working for you. Uh, some people, because of the inflation rates, now can't afford to go back to work, which is certainly an issue. And I'm not I'm not saying that that's a that's not a, a, a gorilla in the room. I mean, it is. But the idea that you know we're going to have an engineering team and you're never going to show up. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I listen to my it was one of my Attorney buddies last night. This this concept of this of everything is on uh, you know on Zoom for courts and things like that. Look look what we have. We have people that haven't been tried for two years. I mean, 
you know, so we got we got we, we we need to get this act back together, Kevin. And if so, you don't like it, go oh, find another job. Um, everything, every every decision that has been made along the way here has had predictable consequences that at least some people were out there citing, yeah, and saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. So, okay, let's just say, you know, not. I, I don't agree with this. I, you know, and, and we've talked about this as we've gone through about how many of these decisions were bad at the time, but um, as well as bad at, in in hindsight. But let's just say that they were the right thing to do. That we really, really had to shut down everything. Do you think somewhere along the line somebody might have started to think about how you get back, what the pathway back into normal is? That maybe we should have plans for that too. And you know, clearly, it, nobody has. It got you know, it two years to do this, two years to be on top of it, and nobody is on top of it. We're just making it up as we go along. Well, it, 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 it's just the stupidest stuff that I can imagine. How can we be collectively this stupid with the brain power that's available in this country? Um. Well, who's the man who said a camel is a horse designed by committee? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's a. I, I tell you what, Kevin. I in my my small uh, soiree into the into into the board of directors world around the CBOE, it is stunning, the small group dynamics of how twelve to fifteen, probably individually very bright people can make some of the most horse bleep decisions, and then afterward they all knew it was a bad decision. They just didn't speak up. It's just. I mean, That's I the Bay of Pigs. yeah, I, I can. The Bay of Pigs with Kennedy when they had that handed to him, and everybody had their misgivings, and nobody spoke up because nobody wanted to be the one who wasn't gung ho against communism. Yep. Well, I mean, I when we when we shut down, I mean, I, and you and I, we were we were all on it. Everybody who was on the show, we were all over it. Even the guys who are, you know, the most liberal we have are all saying when you do something like that. Let, let's say, okay, the easiest thing to do is shut down. Now, the idea of shutting down. On St. Patrick's Day, the bars, I still can't forgive anybody for that. I mean, I can't, I can't, I just can't. That, that just, yeah, that sometimes just, they just cross the line. They just they? cross the line. And uh, So let's say we close everything down except food and all this stuff, you know, and we do all that stuff. And, okay, so we're, we're walking day by day, and then you, but you, you need to be able to drive around and say, okay, we're, we're selling clothes at Target. Do we really need to close Macy's? I mean, Really? Or why was Macy's not so dumb to put a can, a, an aisle of canned foods on the first floor so they could be open and, and get around the rule, you know, that type of thing. Wouldn't have mattered in Michigan, we would have roped it off. Yeah, well, in Michigan, but I'm saying at, at some point here, I mean, every every day you need to say, well, if the mall's open, the restaurant across the street, I mean, if Walmart's open, why can't the restaurant across the street be open? I mean, I mean, it's it reaches a point where, of course, at the, at the time, if a person had COVID, you were scrubbing the ceiling, right? And even though then six months later they said, well, no, it doesn't really live in any, any surface area. Don't worry about that anymore. How many, God, you, you, there was people here on our floor in our building that were in, the, were, in the, uh, were in the office cleaning business. They had their best three months ever. Every, every, time, somebody, oh, yeah. every time somebody had uh, COVID. I, I know people who, who th- th- they had a whole protocol for coming home from the grocery store where you had the clean side of the uh, counter and the, and the infected side of the counter. You put your groceries on the infected side and then you would wash them and put them on the clean side, and then you could disinfect the other side uh, yeah. after you were done. Can you imagine? I, you know, I, I remember seeing that. I had somebody send me that and say, this is what you should be doing, and my immediate reaction was, no, no, I'm not doing 
No. It's, uh, how many people have to be kidding me? The big alcohol bottle and you're wiping the steering wheel down and other stuff in the car. The thing of it is, I mean, I, early on, I I don't have a problem with that, but I think before they gave everybody the all clear, they knew three months before. But politically, it became well, as political. No, 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 no. They, they knew four months before. Three weeks after they did it. Yeah. So, I mean, we had these, but now we're working our way back. And I, and I don't really have uh, an issue with somebody who's working at home um, realizing that if they go back to work, it's going to cost them X, mo- X amount more per month. God help you if you got to go buy a car. I mean, good Lord, if that has to happen. I mean, if you got to buy an extra car, what, you know, I mean, that's, we, we've, we've priced that maybe on purpose out of everybody's range. But then again, you can go get an electric car and pay up 50% for that, you know, which is even more bizarre. Uh, That's okay. Mayor Pete said the um, um, the fuel was uh, insinuated that the fuel was free. Uh, yeah, yeah. These guys are. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, figure, figure out what it uh, what it costs you to plug into a charging station at a uh, um, uh, a, a toll road uh, stop. I mean, it winds up being like twenty bucks an hour. Well, you, well we put these people in power, and uh, uh, and we we wonder why we. I mean, look at look at the the, the little race. We were somewhat involved here in Stacks and Jacks, and we had uh, uh, Karen Reeves on. And Karen has this pretty serious track record at, at working with private and public together and creating jobs. And was real anxious to partner up with somebody, you know, guys like you, if she'd have got in, and uh, and figure out a way to get this down to the high school level and stuff here in, in Chicago, which I don't think there's any move to do. And she's a, um, you know, I, I don't know that. She could stand toe-to-toe with me on economics. I doubt if she could, but I can't stand toe-to-toe with the stuff that she's good at. That's the whole idea. But, I mean, and all of a sudden, at the last minute, we get money and we get we get Jesse Jackson's kid in there because he's got a name. And somebody gave him a million bucks in the last two weeks from the... Now, I don't know what he owes the crypto world. And, and, his, and his brother would not say he's his brother. His brother was in there in the same job how many years ago and ended up in jail with it. I mean, why not? why can't we give somebody... New, bright, and appears to be energetic. Why can't we give somebody like that a chance? Why do we got to drop back into this? And not only that, what'd she say? Uh, how many people? She, you weren't here, Matty. Uh, 30% of the, of the vote total voters voted? I mean, we we put these people there, and then at the last minute when something happens, we expect them to be geniuses. They're not, Kevin. They're not. I mean, Trump hasn't read a book in how long, I mean, in my opinion. I mean, when the push comes to shove, you can't expect the guy to be anything other than he is. You know, we're... I, even though I politics and so forth, uh, I don't know if I'm on his page the whole time. But a guy like Mitt Romney, again, I, there's a lot of stuff on uh, politics. But the guy has a track record that when the pressure's on, the guy performs, right? In the Olympics and other places, because he's done it. I'm not saying he's my favorite politician, but at least you know what you got with that guy. That when 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 the, when the, when the fat hits the hits the you know hits the pan. You know the guy's been there before, and he's going to pick people around him and do a good job. He turned the Olympics around, he did other stuff. I mean, am I right? Which, which uh, um, you know, of course, needed to be marginalized at all costs when he ran. Yeah. And and now he's a hero. Yeah. But and I'm saying is... The same people who, who, who denigrated him uh, terribly, um, now he's a hero. Well, I mean, I'm saying is we, we, we get what we, you know, what we expect. We have, you know, we have Joe Biden, who's a, a, a non not really an, uh, that impressive of a senator and been in Congress his whole life never another job and he's been there and, he, and now he's old and he's you know and all of a sudden there he is and what 
I mean, he's. I'm sure he's doing the best he can, and I think his heart's in the right place. But I mean, we're, we're not we're not talking about you know somebody who did amazing stuff. I mean, you know, Abe Lincoln's legal legal career, he took on everybody, railroads and everything else. I mean, yeah, I'm sure his heart's in the right place too, Tom. Except for the fact that he's got this reputation of being. You know, nice old Uncle Joe, but he is really a mean SOB. Uh, oh, I think I mean, he is. Always has been. He always has been. Well, I think a lot of I, I think John McCain always was too. Well, oh, McCain, yeah, he, he terribly, he was a terribly mean person. I mean, I, I mean, and so I'm saying we 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 plunk these people right up until right up until he died, and then he became St. John McCain. Yeah, well, we we put these people there, and what do we expect them to grow into? All of a sudden, at the last, you don't grow into anything at age seventy. <laughs> You 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 are always right. Either somebody you can count on or somebody you can't. But you get seventy years in front of people to to figure it out, right? We, we, there's people that are go-to people and people that aren't. And you know, as, as voters, we kind of better figure it out. But I, I don't have. I mean, my my guys that uh, actually my attorney people that know Lori from when she was a a prosecutor. So she's actually Lori Lightfoot. She's actually you know very bright uh, and and somewhat law and orderish. Not anybody wants to throw pe- you know bad people out on the street, but now she's she's totally overmatched in this job. Can't find people around her that want to stay there. The resignations are dramatic. She just can't seem to get it together. She's got an amazingly thin skin for a politician, and everything's about her. If you if you if you say something about a murderer and if he's black, it's an assault on black people. No, it's not. It's an assault on somebody who just murdered somebody. I feel just the same way with the, with the guy if he was white. I mean, you, I mean she just has no history. Of, of that job being anywhere near close to what, where she should be right now. I'm just saying, in one man's opinion. Doesn't make her bad, doesn't make her anything. It just means her, it makes her unprepared, and, it, and, and now she's in there, she's making it worse. I mean, am, I, am I right on this? I mean, she's not... I, I think you're right. I, I, I don't follow as closely, obviously, as I would if I, if I uh, were living in Chicago. But the thin skin part, um, lots of politicians are thin-skinned. That's not unusual. Barack Obama was thin-skinned. He was also very disciplined. Yes. And uh, so he, you know, yeah, sometimes that uh, the being thin-skinned would flash from him, but for the most part, um, you know, he, he could stay on message and, uh, and and didn't get flustered about things, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that was, and, and that's part of the job, too. And that's that's the part of the job that where Lori Lightfoot is just totally unprepared. She has, you know, she, she's just, can't handle it. Well, look at the, the lady who just died in Britain. Seventy years, the lady was on her game. Never, a, never a wardrobe malfunction. Never a hat that fell off. Never a, a bad word. Never a, a, a smart ass remark to the person next to you that is caught on tape. Never. But how do you do that for seventy years? It's just an awesome skill set, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she obviously was trained the right way. I don't. It was a queen mum or whoever the hell did it, but. I mean, it's. I mean, that, that, to be well, on your the game. Grandchildren, not so much. Well, no, I don't know if she was as good. One of them, yes. The other one, not, not really. Well, you know, you can't somehow. One of my aunt used to say, "You can't choose your relatives." Um, hey, what about after, after the break here? We talk a little bit about the uh, the White Sox. I, I really, I'm really bizarre here that the Bank of England now is is starting to, is starting to you know buy bonds and stuff back again here. But they, they uh, here's an article that says U- UK already in a full year recession. As Europe faces tough winter, okay. Well, well we've had two uh, quarters in a row of negative GDP, and I'm thinking I'm, I'll check on the break here where the Atlanta Fed is on this last quarter. Now, if we get three quarters in a row, are we saying we're in a recession for a year? Why? Why wouldn't we? No, because that's not the definition anymore. 
Can I make my own? Does everybody get to make their own up? I think, yeah, I think so. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm just, I'm working on it. I, you know, I'll let you know. How about something really stupid like uh, randomly select 25 people that you know and go ask, you know, say you know 100 people well, that you could call up and talk to, uh, and you just randomly select 25 and do a deep dive on whether they're better off this quarter or this year than last year in terms of inflation versus uh, income, and I'm going to say that well over 50% of those people are in worse shape than last year. I would think you'd be right. Um, so that would be true. Hey, before we go in, uh, one one real quick comment, because it, it, it's come up a couple of times, and I, I just want to clarify something on tax accounting. Um, and, and so it's totally off topic for anything we've had, but I made a note to myself to bring it up. They really don't keep two sets of books. What all they do is the, the tax liability line is not calculated on gap, you know, the profit with the uh, um, uh, generally accepted accounting principles. It's a it's a com- it's a computed expense, just like every other expense is a line item on the financial statement. But it's computed separately, and when they when it comes to things like capital expenditures, depreciation expense, and so on, the the government has instead of a depreciation schedule, they have what they call a cost recovery schedule, which is essentially the same thing, just with a different word. Um, but the the point of it is that whenever they want to do some kind of stimulus or they want to disincentivize uh, something, that's an area where they go do it. So. For instance, when the uh, younger George Bush did the stimulus um, uh, uh, package that they did at the time, um, they they made trucks. They wanted people, to, you know, more more investment from the uh, uh, business community. And among the things that you could buy were trucks. And what they do is they let you depreciate like sixty percent of the truck or sixty five percent of the truck in year one so that it would reduce your net income by a lot and therefore your tax liability by a lot. And so there, there was no separate set of books for this. This was just what they, when you calculate a tax, what they would charge for it. And, uh, and so you could charge off that 60% as a depreciation expense. It would come off of your taxes. As a result, everybody I knew who owned a small business Bought a new SUV that year because oh, yeah. SUVs oh, yeah. were considered trucks, and the business bought it, and uh, so everybody was driving a spiffy new car, and we stimulated the auto industry by doing that. So, I mean, that's how it works. There's no separate set of books. Um, I'm gonna, just, uh, after, it's just a different expense calculation. After the, after the break, I'm going to push back on that here, but we'll do it after the break. SP Futures down uh, 16, NASDAQ Futures down 108. Uh, be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. 
Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Amos, but we're on the board. SP Futures down 14. NASDAQ Futures down 95. By the way, yesterday, all we were doing on the uh, during the show was uh, I was crowing about the fact that everything on the on the board was green. Well, that didn't last all that long. We had like a 300-point swing in the NASDAQ yesterday and 500 points in the Dow. It was, got pretty ugly, and then we kind of came back a little bit on the close, but uh, still, it wasn't the best day. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 131, 1%. FTSE down 25, only 0.4% there. Macacaron down 58, 1%. So the FTSE, the one seems to be causing all the trouble this morning, is the one that's not down so much. We're in Asia, we got the Nikkei down uh, 397, that's a percent and a half. Shanghai down 48, that's a percent and a half. And here's the one, ouch, I don't know what these guys, I I look at this every morning and I say something. Uh, Hang Seng down 609, 17,250, it's 3.4%. These guys are, it's, uh, Leading sharp falls in Asia session. They sure are. Uh, bonds <coughs> up one basis point, 3.94. It actually, I think it touched 4% yesterday. That's a 10-year. The Bund uh, up one basis point to 2.27. Uh, Japan unchanged. And the UK down 28 basis points to 4.22 as they're trying to buy some bonds there. Um, yeah, kind of crazy on that, considering what everybody else is doing. Oil up 20 cents, 78.70. Brent down two cents, eighty-six twenty-five. Natural gas down two cents, six sixty-three. Our Bob unchanged at two forty-eight. His oil is no longer really talked about by the day. Uh, gold down seventy cents, sixteen thirty-five. Silver down eighteen cents, eighteen fifteen. Copper unchanged three twenty-eight. We've got Bitcoin on one hundred twenty-three, back under nineteen thousand, eighteen thousand nine forty-four. Um, and we've got the uh, which is the big news these days. Never, we never even talked about this. Uh, the European dollar down to 95 cents, 95.6. Remember, we thought it would never break a buck. It has. And the, and the British pound down to 1.05. Maddie, get us a cheap flight. Let's have some beers in London tonight. That sounds pretty good. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have a couple of issues uh, down to the south. I-80 eastbound just before the I-57 exit. There's a crash blocking the left lane. Uh, that's causing stop and go traffic on i-80 just south of there on 57 uh, there is a crash as well on the northbound side at sock trail and that has the exit ramp closed due to that crash we had an earlier jack uh, jackknife uh, dump truck 
chief on the inbound Ryan right at Roosevelt Road that was causing all kinds of issues in both directions on the Ryan. That apparently has been cleared, but uh, there are some uh, slow travel times still on the Ryan in both directions from that earlier crash. No issues on the Stevenson. I-290 looking good. Same for the Edens and Kennedy. And Lakeshore Drive's all quiet. Weather today. Rain in the forecast. Cold temperatures before we warm back up into the 70s this weekend. Today, rainy and a high of just 58. Kind of a dreary, wet day out there. Right now, it is cloudy and 49 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy with a high of 100 today. Right now, it's clear and 99. In sports, Cubs beat the Phillies 2-1. White Sox were shut out by the Twins 4-0. Diamondbacks were blown out by the Astros 10-2. And in Bears news, uh, they announced yesterday afternoon that they put uh, wide receiver Byron Pringle on the IR. He left uh, Sunday's game with a calf injury, so he'll have to miss at least four weeks before he's eligible to come back. And they also signed veteran linebacker Joe Thomas uh, to a deal. Bears are 2-1. They're at the Giants on Sunday. Chief. Do they have a? Are you right that they have fifty-three people active for a game now? Yeah, it's been that way for several years. Okay, I thought it was like forty and then forty-five, and they're up to fifty-three. Wow, yeah, fifty-three. Yeah, do, uh, do they? They have they designate inactives every game, do they not? They do. Yep. Yep. So not all fifty-three are, are uh, going to play on any given oh, okay. day. Okay. All right. Uh, it's it's like three inactives, or, uh, or maybe it's six, whatever it is, come game day. But the. Yeah, the live roster is 53 people. Okay, but I don't. There's not. I yeah, mean, 46 are active on game day. Yeah. Um, the roster has been 53 for several years. It's now 55 with two players being able to be elevated from the practice squad on a weekly basis. Um, what, what's the story with the third quarterback? They don't. They don't. Then they used to have a guy that have uh, the other two guys were out. You put the third guy in, and that that rule's gone, right? The emergency quarterback yeah. rule. Yeah, not necessarily. I think that one might be. Or if you put the third whatever, guy in, whatever it was, the the rule was that your third quarterback was also inactive if you had one, but um, you were able to, um, if you had to play the third quarterback, then nobody else could go back in. Yeah, something like that. What I'm seeing here is the the third quarterback rule was a rule in the NFL from 1991 to 20,000 to 2010 that governed the use of a third quarterback in addition to the starter and the backup. The rule was abolished for the 2011 season when the NFL increased the roster size to allow 46 players to dress for a game. Got it. Which okay. is where they're currently at. All right. Kevin, just be, uh, real quick. First of all, I know I'm dating myself by the idea of having two sets of books anyway, but uh, I, I'll, I'll just talk about the two that are the most prevalent ways to do this, and I'm sure there's a million other ways that I don't, I don't know about, but the two that go back to when you and I were in school was your uh, inventories and your depreciation schedules could be different for tax reasons and for and for you know financial recounting, but and both are legit. They're just different. But I, I'm going to say what places I was, you absolutely had uh, two totally different sets of inventory records, in the sense of if you had you know the, the example always was a pile of coal, you dump coal on the pile and and you take take coal off. We either take if you took the first coal off, the stuff at the bottom might be three dollars a ton. The stuff on the top might be thirty dollars a ton. Same way with depreciation. I can for financial. I can. We used to have absolutely two separate schedules. I mean, two, I mean and for that stuff, which I guess in my mind means two sets of books. You're right. Now you can probably just make a computer adjustment, but it gets you to the same place. Well, yeah, it, it does. But the thing is, there's there's really no need to have. 
um, two sets of books, uh, especially when it comes to tax. When it comes to tax, it's just it's an expense item. It's an expense item, just like payroll expense item is, and and it's calculated. It, ultimately, it gets to a bottom line, but how you how you value your let's let's just say uh, um, how you how you handle depreciation, the way you're going to report depreciation expense from a uh, a gap point of view, which is the uh, generally accepted accounting principles or whatever they're calling it nowadays, and the way that that's going to go on your um, orderly reports is going to be pretty standard, but the way that you use depreciation expense for tax purposes is going to be totally prescribed on an item-by-item basis, or in most cases on a category basis. Um, so, you know, they're going to tell you how much, uh, you know, how much um, cost recovery expense you're able to allocate to that, and, and then you just do it. Well, uh, so it's, it, it comes it's down. a little bit. It's a little bit different than using a depreciation method for tax. You, you you don't use any of the standard depreciation methods for tax. That's see. This is you know when when they talk. We talk a lot about tax rates. You know and you know what's what's the corporate rate and all of that. In the end, it doesn't really matter. What matters is how, you know how do you get to that tax liability line, and essentially if you can accelerate. Uh, the recovery of uh, of a capital expenditure that's going to, for tax purposes, it's going to lower your, or raise your expense and therefore lower your net income. And so all of these, or not all of these, but so many businesses get to a very small net income number for tax purposes, or they get to a very uh, zero net income. And you know what? You can charge me fifty percent, thirty percent, twenty-three percent, and it doesn't matter because you multiply that by zero, and you're going to get the same number. Well, the idea was that it—that's it, where the tax—that's where the, uh, uh, the the tax legislation is more interesting and more significant, and uh, and that's where all the control is. That's where you go reward my buddies and uh, and penalize the uh, opposition. That's where you go to do it, is in stuff like that. Well, sure, but I, I, some of the stuff is a choice, but, you know, neither one of us are, are exactly... But I guess what I'm saying is the idea is it's a timing difference. It's supposed to be. So if, if you, instead of uh, something you depreciate over five years, you do, uh, instead of straight line, which would be five years, you do something faster, in theory, you accelerate the stuff so the first year or two you're not paying as much but you should be paying more in the last year or two. But it seems like it never yeah, works out. Your there. incentive then is to dump the asset and yeah. replace it. So the with another one and, yeah. and continue to get the uh, high depreciation. Yeah. So you never seem so to basically get, yeah. you're just you're just making it cheaper to go ahead and uh, um, uh, you know to go ahead and replace things. Yeah. Well, it's anyway. But the, the, the you're right. How how this all plays out is but at the end of the day, though, you would think that there's some sort of a you know, hey, hey you, you said you made you know a, a billion dollars and, and and you're paying me nothing. Well, the spread. Let's put it this way: the spread has gotten a lot bigger than most people thought it was going to be, and then that's what people are pushing back on. Is I guess seems to be the problem. By right? the way, we got a comment on Twitter, and you can follow us on Twitter at Stocks and the letter N Jocks. Uh, Joe Case writes in about what you brought up uh, right before the break. Just to clarify, Clinton had the surplus forced on him by Newt Gingrich and Pete Dominici, et cetera. It was far from his doing or int- intention. Um, 
I don't know that that's 100% true. I think a lot of it had to do with when the market ran way up, the people who sold stocks up had to pay a lot of taxes, and the people who lost money when it went back down didn't get the rebate. I think it had a lot to do with that. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, but where Clinton was really good in there was the uh, triangulation process, where he, you know, he, he gave he would give everybody uh, something that uh, that they had to vote for, and he, you know, Clinton was good at, at uh, you know licking the finger and putting it up and seeing which way the wind was blowing, and then making it work for him. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't, Gil, I didn't say Gil, it was Gil, all. Gil, but totally a <clears throat> I think I was. Uh, let's put it this way: I really try and, no matter what it is, I really try and say when somebody was in office without saying it was their doing. <laughs> because, I, you know, the inflation is not Biden's doing. You know, the, the inflation wasn't Jimmy Carter's doing, nor was it really Ronald Reagan's Actually, doing. I don't think there's anything that goes on that's Biden's doing nowadays. But well, okay. that's, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying a lot of this, it just happens to be the time you're there. <laughs> and because uh, a lot of this stuff has some sort of a... I mean, yesterday I was uh, listening to, to a Tout TV, and uh, they were going on and on about... Uh, Reagan let you know Paul Volcker do his thing and blah blah blah. And I'm sitting there going, Reagan. If you walked down the street today and interviewed 15, especially 15 people from the right, every single one of them will tell you that Reagan appointed Volcker, and he didn't. Carter did. I mean, with this revisionist history as we go, um, I think Clinton ended up in a spot where, where, where markets were flying up with the dot bomb stuff, and he was a huge benefactor to that. I mean, it was it was the go-go times. As the market just went up every day, and people were making fortunes. And I remember us doing seminars in those days, where people would fly to Bermuda for an option seminar, or not Bermuda, Bahamas, same thing, not same thing. But uh, and I'm like, what you know, what are we doing here? <laughs> These guys. Are, All that yeah. stuff blew up under uh, uh, the the dot bomb stuff blew up under Bush, didn't it? Well, yeah, but I'm saying that was not Bush didn't yeah, do that. So you yeah. know, one one guy gets the benefit, the next guy gets the uh, uh, the pain. Yeah, it's a. Uh, so you know, and 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 I know that uh, you know Newt came in with his people that they were going to balance the budget, and five years later they had just as crooked a budget as everybody else. It's amazing what what Washington seems to do to people. I don't know why why it does, but it but it sort of does. So, uh, Kevin, if let's shift gears for a second, since we are stacks and jacks, if you had to change the White Sox, where would you start? It's, you know, I, I watched this last week. The the difference, and again, you're never going to get me anymore from being a Cub fan in my life to be a huge fan because of the ownership. Um, but the difference in those two teams right now is like night and day. The Cubs every night are going out there. They're, they're playing. It's like their, their last game. I mean, they they love playing every night, these young people. And Sacks, all, the Sacks, if you told them to go home tomorrow, they'd, they'd pack up their bags and they'd go. They'd it, go. And, and that's a big credit to, to Ross um, as, as the manager, keeping it, you know, granted they have a lot of young, hungry guys on the team who need to prove themselves. And so they're they're playing hard, but we've said all all year long that they um, you know that they play smart baseball, they play a good style of baseball, and that ge- in general they just weren't good enough to win. Um, but but it wasn't the, it wasn't because the way they played. Whereas the White Sox were just a dumb team, um, and and that showed up a lot. That cost them a lot of games. As it stands right now, the Cubs and the White Sox are going to be drafting really close to each other. Yeah, that gives you an idea of where their fortunes have gone. Um, so, what would I do with the White Sox? Um, I, I would I would want better defense and more speed. Um, I, you know, there, there's there's things that they might be able to do to improve pitching and so on. Um, and they they're locked into some things. 
but they have so many slow guys. They, they, they're they a station-to-station team, so um, so that limits what they can do offensively. If they're not hitting home runs, they can't win. And, you know, what's 15, 16, something like that, maybe 17 is the most home runs on the team. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and home run is ballpark. It, it, yeah, it, it, uh, and, and so they they don't win if they don't hit home runs, and they don't hit home runs. That's that's a bad combination. Well, what do you do, Manny? And I were talking uh, about on the but, way. But in. I, I would I would be looking for for more speed, more speed on the uh, corners of the outfield. Um, I, I love Jose Abreu. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing somebody else move into first base because they have a team full of first baseman designated hitters, and uh, um, and, and they can't uh, they can't play they have they play them all because they have to, but they they shouldn't. There's a, at least four guys when we count them. You got you got Vaughn, you got Sheets, you got Abreu. And you have uh, Jimenez. Yeah. Those four need to fill two spots on the team: first base and designated hitter. What uh, we were mentioning on the way in, and that, well, I should not know the answer to this. What do you do with somebody who's in that twenty-one to twenty-six age bracket? In three of the last four years, they've played sixty games. They pull this, they pull that. Some of it's aggression. Some of them maybe it's wrong conditioning and whatever it is, you know happens I don't know but uh, what uh, you, you can't well, my like son to likes to tell me that ever since they changed the training staff uh, um, you, you've had all of these uh, conditioning type of uh, injuries so maybe that's maybe that's a place they need to change as well well I mean but I mean, if you're sitting there going I, I you know I love the center fielder but he's giving me 60 games a year I mean uh, can I really count on him to give me 140 games a year when he's 35, when he can't give me that when he's 25. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, that, that's a decision I wouldn't want to make on somebody's future. But you know, when you're when you're winging around this kind of money, uh, it's really something you have to you have to wander through your head. I mean, uh, is somebody all of a sudden was it a freak enough injury where it's only going to happen once, like a Nico Horner where he stepped on the ump's ankle or something and was out for a month? I mean, that one maybe you can. You can file in the in the drawer and say that won't happen again. But uh, or Schwarber, you know, getting undercut by the because he had no injury history, history before that. But these other guys. Yeah, how, how many times has uh, um, uh, Nicky two strikes um, uh, Madrigal? How, how, how many times has Madrigal been on the uh, DL and he's he's on it again and he's not coming back this year? Yeah. So you got to ask um, yourself. I mean, plus he's not even a a big huge guy trying to play center field. He's a normal. Size guy playing second base. If ever there's a, a spot where guys don't normally, you know, that, that's the spot where guys play 150 games usually. I mean, I, I mean, these these are decisions I'd hate to make on people's future, but you got to ask yourself. I mean, I mean, really? I mean, uh, and the Sox have two of those guys in the outfield, and they happen to be their two better three best players. I mean, what do you, do you expect those guys to go 150 games apiece next year? And if the answer is no, then what do you do? Well, and and. You know, it, it, that's that's part of the decision-making process, and that's probably one where I'm very sympathetic that it, it's tough decisions. You have to bet on guys. You've made them a certain amount of investment in them, and, and they, you just you know start telling yourself, "Hey, he's got to he's due for a healthy season. Let's see, let's see what happens." But I, I think part of the problem with the White Sox is, as I mentioned, they have all of these guys who uh, you know fit into two positions, DH and first base, and they've had them all for years. They needed early on to figure out who's going to make it and who's not going to make it because while they're prospects, they have some value. Right now, 
you know, who's who's going to trade you uh, um, anything substantial for Sheets? He's okay. You know, he, 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 he doesn't completely suck, but he's not an outfielder, and he's been playing outfield, and he's not, you know, he's not a... He actually, he might be the White Sox' best power hitter this year, yeah. but he's not, you know, a guy who's going to give you a ton of power hitting, and you know, so where's he going to fit in? He, you know, he's not going to he's not going to get you anything. You may need to move him out of the way to clear some space, but he's not going to get you anything. And um, so, you know, this they needed that decision like two years ago from all those guys, and they didn't make those decisions. Well, how much of an advantage? And then you got to be right. I mean, you got you got to pick who's going to make it, and then you and then you have to be right. How much of an advantage Cubs, do you think it is? The Cubs are in the same boat, and what, you know, you think of the guys um, that they let go. Um, that uh, you know, were were they? You know, they they made some bats, and uh, and some guys that made it. And really, uh, out of all the guys they let go a year ago, the only one that really has had a uh, tremendously productive year is Schwarber. Um, and so, you know, in, in those cases, you know, just one year in, now maybe three years out it won't look as good, but one year in it looks like they made some right decisions there. But if you back up and you think of guys, you know, like they gave up too, did they give up too early on Solaire, um, who's had a, a pretty productive career? Did they give up too early uh, or, or was it too expensive to trade uh, Glaber Torres? Uh, you know, could they have gotten a different reliever uh, um, for uh, for less expense? Uh, did they did they give up way too much for Quintana? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and the answer is yes. So you know they they didn't they they did a really good job of uh, accumulating prospects, and a lot of them made it to the majors and helped them win a championship. But they did not do a good job of evaluating who's the long term keepers and who's who's not. Well, I think that stats being. You know, being stats, I think the guy who's who probably could still have helped them all along the way more than the numbers, and who's doing the very the very same thing for the Yankees. I think Rizzo brings a lot more to the team than just the numbers. I mean, he's he's really helped the Yankees out, their infield and other stuff. And uh, I mean, their turnaround is almost kind of when they got him. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not saying he's the reason, but but he really did help. They had a scatterarmed infield and. All kinds of stuff. Well, and, and I think Rizzo is a guy you want on your team just because of you know the kind of guy he is. Yeah, and and that's good. That's just really you know that's just kind of difficult to uh, uh, to justify the millions later in his career, especially when yeah. he's had some injuries too. He's had some back injuries and things like that. So um, you know it's it, it's you have some tough calls, and I'm I, I you know I, I I love Anthony Rizzo Rizzo, and I'd love to see him in a Cubs uniform, but I also um, you know, I, I can accept that move and, and letting him walk uh, a lot more than you know some of the other moves that they've made. But I'm not even being totally critical of the Cubs. They've started to regrow the minor leagues, and they have a lot of really good prospects. And I think they're going to get good again. Um, so, and, and and this time around, there's pitching as part of the equation coming out of the minor leagues, and I think that's a good thing. Well, the thing the White Sox don't have the minor leagues. Uh, they have a few good players in their minor leagues that everybody's looking forward to seeing, but they don't have a, a sto- what I call a stocked minor leagues, and um, and and they're just poorly constructed at the major league level. It's it's just a really weird team, and I don't, uh, you know, I, I just don't like the way they play, and I don't like the way they're capable of playing either. Well, I don't know who even the managers are in the Cub minor league system now, but when those kids started coming up in uh, you know in June and July. 
all they were doing was pulling for their guys down in the minor leagues, saying, oh, this, this guy will be up here soon, he's really good too. It seems like as a group, they're really happy to be together. I mean, I don't know if it was, they, they remind me, like, you know what team reminds me of that right now is Kansas City. Like they got a lot of really young, fast ball players too. Now, whether they get any pitching or not, I don't know. But uh, there's some teams that seem like they, they actually enjoy being there and others don't. I mean, it's uh, I don't know I don't know what the magic is, but uh, something something. Well, a lot of it is leadership. I mean, you know, you you look at Cleveland. You know, they, they, uh, there were plenty of times this year where they could have backed it in, where it just was looking like it wasn't going to make it. And in fact, at the beginning of the year, they weren't. No, you know, people didn't think that highly of them. Uh, but I do think people, you know, the players like playing for Pran- uh, Francona. They bought into the style of baseball that he wants to play, and they're. You know they're really good. They're they're not going to have a great record going into the playoffs, but I would bet you that there is nobody who wants to play them. Well, what's the with this three person three team uh, thing, Matty? Matty, what's the deal? Is is the first the first round one game or, or two out of three? I think it's still two out of three. I'm gonna have to look. What pull was it the, I pulled this up recently? It's definitely not one game. What was the what was the one game stuff last year? Was that just because of the COVID? It was, there was a couple of one well, game been doing that for a while. Yeah, they the, did the, the extra wild card, and the, the two wild card teams would play off to get a spot into a real series. And so it was a one game play to get into the real series. So is that still is that still on? No. No. Yeah. So it's it says twelve teams make it, six from each league. We know that, which is an increase from ten. You know, last year where it was five in each league. That includes the three division winners in each league and three wild card teams per league. Does the wild card game still exist? No. The single elimination wild card game, which was in use from 2012 to 2019 and then again in 2021, has been replaced by a best of three wild card series. So the crummiest, uh, the crummiest division leader, essentially drops into the wild card group, and those four teams play t- two two out of three series. Yeah, so number one seed's your best league record. Number two is second best division winner. Number three is third best division winner. And then four, through f- four five, and six is best record among wildcard teams. Ones and twos receive a first-round bye. And then, uh, yeah, three versus six, four versus five. And that's two out of three. Then the next one's three out of five, I think. Um, wh- each wildcard series will be played in the home park of the team with the higher seed, so the number threes and fours will have the hosting duties. The games will be scheduled to take place in a three-day window. Um, in the division series, uh, they're best of five, yep. two two one, and then uh, then after that it's two three two, best of seven. Right, so the last the last series for the, the league championship and the World Series are best well, of seven. Okay, well that's cool. Yep. So first time, and first year they're doing. Wish everybody a Merry Christmas right before that <laughs> championship <laughs> game, and then uh, call it a deal. Well, I, I could see uh, I could see Cleveland give anybody trouble in a two out of three series. With the with the who's their their pitcher, a really good guy. Oh, they have good pitching, yeah. and and yeah, Bieber, you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, but but they have uh, they're they're just um, you know how, how do I want to put it they're they're also they're they're just tough it, you know it's tough to put their guys away you, you, there's there's no easy out in the lineup and uh, and they've done a nice job of you know of of making acquisitions when they can't pay guys. They've managed to turn that into very productive players on their team, and you, you know you can go through and and pick off all of uh, you know all, all of the guys and how they were acquired. 
um, you know, a lot of those are uh, are deals uh, for guys that they just decided they couldn't afford to pay. But they're not they're not sold out every night they're, like they, they were. They're, they're using essentially the uh, um, the Rays model model, the Tampa model. Well, they were for a long period of time. They were sold out every night. They're not anymore, right? They're not even close. I don't think. I don't think so. Correct. Yeah, for in the '90s when they built that new stadium and their team was really good with Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and Roberto Alomar and Kenny Lofton and they were just loaded and they went to uh, I think two World Series didn't win one. They they sold out for like I don't know seven, eight, nine straight years. Yeah, we like were. That. Uh, this year they're just so you know they're uh, 25th in attendance out of 30 teams. So obviously very bad. They average seventeen thousand fans a night. We were uh, talking to and uh, one of the nicest guys I ever met. He was a uh, money manager in, in Cleveland, and I, he had really bad diabetes. He used to give lectures to little kids that had diabetes. I think the guy died, but before we could get him on board, uh, he would, had a group of people that had um, season tickets. But they always one of the guy's assistant's job was to call every day at four o'clock for the best table in the stadium club. So we went to a game in the stadium club, and it was like five levels, and your table was the bottom level, right in the corner of the thing, like a bay window, looking right out at the field. And if they didn't get that table, they didn't go. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was fun. And you never, he said we never, we never go to our seats. We just watch the game from the table. Just drink right there. It was pretty cool. Anyway, thanks, Kevin. SP Futures down 17. NASDAQ Futures down 100. Uh, we get back, Mr. Uh, Russell Rhodes. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now. 
something happening here. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. Mr. Mo Weber on the board. SP Futures now down 14. Come back a little bit. NASDAQ Futures only down 89 now. They were down more. Uh, do we have the professor? I'm here. How are you, bud? I'm doing okay. You have to exp- In transit to IU. Well, you have to explain more today than normal because more crazy stuff's going on than normal, if that's even possible. It's, it's possible. It can get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, I don't think it's gonna, but it can get a lot worse before it can get better. I have uh, some some stuff uh, with you regarding regulatory stuff on radio and TV, <laughs> which is oh boy. interesting. Um, what the F am I allowed to say? Uh, that's exactly what the guy said on TV yesterday. <laughs> um, okay. they, they had a guy from uh, BMO Harris on, some... Their chief, everybody's a chief these days. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I got to get a new title because everybody's a chief, uh, yeah. chief bottle washer or something. Um, the guys on there talking about uh, the market and how, in his estimation, Chris Sully was on giving the whole routine about you know should they fire Jay Fowl? Fowl is he like the worst guy ever and blah blah blah. So now we're ready to fire the guy, right? Because we're he's raising yeah. everything too fast and um, he's causing the market to go down. Of course he. Everybody forgets the part that he's the one who caused the market to go up. But, you know, that no, it went up because they were shrewd investors. Now it's going down because of the Federal Reserve. Now, I guess if you take that point of view, <laughs> you know, you have a certain point of view. But this guy says, well, you know, because we're regulated and everything, we can't, like, criticize the Fed. Of course, he's not going to criticize the Fed because he's part of a big bank. <laughs> I mean, right? Duh. And then he goes on to say, well, you know, anybody who, like, sells in here, we're absolutely convinced, now this is not investment advice, we're absolutely convinced that we're going to have some massive melt-up in the fourth quarter. We, we might have a 7% up move in like one day. And I'm sitting there going... In a single day, okay. A single day, I'm sitting there, where the, where the God bleep are you digging that one out from so you can keep people's money to manage in a long-only position? I mean, you can't criticize the Fed, okay, but you can you can give investment advice like that to people saying, you know, you're, you're basically an idiot if you sell because watch out for this 5 to 7% up day or several or a couple of them in the fourth quarter because this stuff is so oversold it deserves to be way higher and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather you criticize the Fed than, than tell people that kind of stuff. He, uh, just to backtrack a bit, can he not criticize the Fed because he's in a bank? I don't think BMO Harris wants to be criticizing the Fed on national TV. Oh, I can understand that. Yeah, but I just say you started out and you said something about uh, broadcasting regulations and then criticizing the Fed, and I was like, uh, I think we can criti- we we may have criticized the Fed once or twice on here, and, and then well, yeah, and then I was I was afraid you were going to tell me that I've got to pay some sort of fine. No, but no. but the weird part is we had when we had our our big regulatory powwow that you have to do every year if you're a member of Finra. Finra mm-hmm. has decided in their infinite. I'm going to say stupidity, which I, you know, I shouldn't say because we're a Finner member, that in their mind, they've run this down to the spot where, any, now of course, if you're an electronic brokerage firm, you can do whatever you damn well please. You can eviscerate your people, right? And they could all go broke, and it's no big deal. But if you're a broker, they, the new thing is now, if I give any kind of recommendation, even if the guy's not a client, even if I don't do the trade, it's now considered a recommendation. It's like if you were... You know, we're a doctor, and somebody's sitting next to you on the plane, and you say, geez, I got this 
this this you know this, this problem with my abdomen. Well, you know, you better check your appendicitis your appendix out. That's now a recommendation. And if a guy goes in and has a test and it's not his appendix, he can like sue you. So even like if I'm in a bar somewhere and somebody says, not that I ever would be, uh, you know, geez, what do you think about IBM? And I go, I don't know. I've always liked the stock. Well, that that's now a recommendation. Even what though there's no they look at look at there's now there's no trade. There's no no way I made any money on it. I, mean, I didn't I didn't say to the guy you should go out and buy IBM. I just said in general it's but yet guys on TV can talk all day long from these companies and they can give these recommendations out there behind and it's all okay. I, what is the difference between me and these guys? I guess is my question. None, really, other than they happen to be on TV. Well, but I, everybody knows that I would not yep. I would never I would never tell somebody that no matter what, you should hang in there in this market because no matter, because how do how do I know I'm not I'm not talking to somebody who's eighty five years old and he's got three hundred grand left in his in his account and that's all he's ever going to get? You, I never do that. Well, but why do these guys they get have, away with it? They shouldn't get away with it. They absolutely shouldn't. I um, you know, I, I in in past jobs. Well, hell, when I was in an, when I worked for an exchange, um, people would do silly things with. Uh, instruments that are related to, to VIX, not instruments that were listed by the exchange I worked at, but, you know, things that were associated with VIX because of things they'd heard on CNBC. And then they'd call the, you know, the exchange to say, you know, so-and-so on CNBC said VIX can't go any longer. Lower. Why is this VIX e- ETF continuing to go down every day? <laughs> yeah, and, well, duh. you know, I mean, and, and, it, and it was an 85-year-old guy that put all of those savings in one of those ETNs and lost half of it. Um, now that you but, 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 you know, if, you're, if you've made that money and you're, you're a grown-up, you should, uh, you know, it, you, you've got to have some personal responsibility for the trading you do for yourself in there as well. Uh, one would think. Hey, speaking yeah, of VIX, I mean, I, you... I'm, a big, I'm a big personal responsibility person. Uh, I mean, I've done I've done stupid things, and I don't look around for you know somebody else to blame. Well, there's a there's a whole bunch of attorney firms that work through Finra, and all they do is blame everybody else for everybody times everybody loses money. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, speaking of VIX, since you brought it up, this whole sell off we've we've seen now for really quite a while. I mean, this whole yeah. year, this whole year really, except for the, you know we had the one spot where we flew up a few weeks ago. The VIX. Really has not performed. Well, it's performed like you and I thought it would, but it hasn't performed. Yeah. It has not performed like some people thought. You can't go down without the VIX going to sixty, and it hasn't done. It really hasn't. It hasn't gone over thirty, but for a couple of times, all of a sudden now, Russell, it's creeping every day, and it's up to thirty-four. Is that making you nervous? No, not at all. Not at all. It's um, and and it's it's kind of acting. It's acting in a way that it would act if it if the market's not surprised by the uh, stock market price action. And that's exactly what's going on. I mean, you watch, you watch CNBC all day. I just, I, I don't because I'm, I mean, I'm out and about and I'm in the classroom and everything else, but you're there at your desk doing your job and you've got CNBC on to your right right now. And, you know, I, I doubt there's, maybe other than the guy from BMO, uh, I doubt there are a whole lot of screaming bulls on CNBC right now. Which uh, means no. most people are still cautious about the stock market. If you're cautious about the stock market, you've either got a hedge on, or you're not fully invested right now. But either way, if you've been concerned about it, and you've taken the proper action. You you're not 
having any sort of knee jerk, I got to get out or knee jerk, I got to buy protection for my portfolio. And the thing that gets, uh, gets VIX up, you know, in the 40, 50, 60 range is that knee jerk, oh my God, you know, Armageddon is, is upon us. And that, you know, the last time we really had a spike in VIX like that was when, uh, was March of 2020 when we were in the early throes of the pandemic and had no clue what it was going what, what the business outcome was going to be. Well, you so think- you've got it. There's just this. And, and I was at SIBO yesterday recording a video that they're going to put out in a couple of weeks explaining just this that there's a, you know, the, the VIX is a fear index. And I think that's a, a great name for it. But you got to work surprise in there somewhere. You know, that, that's got to be part of what pushes it up because if everybody's already hedged, there's not a bunch of panic buyers of SPX puts when the market sells off, and you need that panic buying to really push uh, implied volatility up to, or the option price was LLC the same, up to you know, big, you know much higher levels. I was trying to come up with a really good adjective, but it's early. Well, if um, you, it's a much higher level. If you, if you look at the the basic part of it, though, I have a feeling that our four or five firms that we're left with that are market makers, which, you know, is a big problem for me, I have a feeling those guys are starting to get a little overloaded with short puts, which is oh, causing, yeah. which is I, causing I, us to I, creep. I would not be the least bit surprised if, if those guys, you know, the, the people that may take pain um, are those guys. But if they're, you know, if they're worried about their day-to-day marks and everything, um... They don't want high implied volatility in the bud. No, but I, what I'm saying yeah. is if, if, if you talked about everybody having their heads down, meaning everybody whose customers like me. Well, yeah. Course, but when yeah. I, I'm I'm not, and, yeah. It, and it really is the, the, what we would refer to paper, but it really is the general public trading that, that pushes VIX up to those uh, much higher levels. Yeah, but, we're, but I'm kind of the, I mean, I think I'm somewhat the, the, the serious outlier. And for my people... I always have puts on forever, so I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to be the. The only thing we're going to do is if the market goes flying down, we're going to roll the puts up or down or whatever, whichever way we're we're heading. So we we're always doing a spread. We're we're never act, we're never asking somebody to sell us three thousand puts like right now, which is a you know. It, it, and this is another. Um, and how far out are you usually going? You know what we we try and we try and get out a little bit so. We don't have the time decay, but the, st- but the market's moving so so much. We want to be able to roll them. You're, you're not you. you're not going to be able to roll a December put. No, no. So we're out. No, but and, and my, where where I was going with that is there are so many expirations now. Yes. That you can choose to use um, SPX options or S and P five hundred options that will never show up in the VIX calculation. Right. Because they, because they're only, the, what, you know, just to back up, because I'm being very technical, um, the VIX is based on uh, the Friday before a 30-day time frame and the Friday after a 30-day time frame. That's the, you know, those are the, those are the series that go in there. Well, but, you know, if I'm worried about it, and this is an example I use a lot just because I know that the inflation numbers come out on Wednesdays, and the Fed's a Wednesday. If I'm worried about the next Fed announcement, or I'm worried about the um, or the next inflation number, I can hedge for that specific day. 
and being able to hedge for that specific day, you know, means that if I if, if I'm a macro guy and I'm you know, and that's what I base all my stuff on is uh, the big economic numbers, I can target my hedges to those specific days, and that's never going to show up in the VIX calculation either, or not as much as it would have when we only had Friday options. So I I think the multitude of uh, and I really wish I weren't talking about this because I want to write a paper on it. Somebody's going to steal it now. But I think the uh, the multitude of expirations that we have right now where you don't necessarily uh, you know, buy puts that are going to push implied volatility up where it impacts VIX, I think that's another reason that we haven't seen that. And the big number everybody's talking about is 40. Uh, well, right. I, I'll tell you... If, and, and, you know, you said no recommendations or anything, but I will tell you, you know, some people shouldn't be doing this. Uh, if VIX gets up above 40, that could be the melt-up day that the guy from BMO said we would have. Because that, that's just a trigger that so many people are fixated on. Well, I think... The market's not over till VIX spikes above 40. Well, you, well, one of the hardest things... Uh, it shouldn't be hard, but, but it is. Yeah. One of the hardest things to... Uh, I uh, talk to it with a with a regular person. When I say regular, somebody's I, I mean regular. Somebody who's never traded on a trading floor because we're definitely irregular yeah. people. People, that, uh, but I'm not a I'm I'm anything but. Well, cause, I mean, I'm, I I used to try and uh, the uh, the uh, oh god, uh, I I just got an email from somebody who said they met my new tenant, the new puppy who's going downstairs last night. Said <laughs> she looks like danger. That's all I need. Uh, anyway, uh, but I mean, I used to try to hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no. keep on topic, keep on topic. Yeah, I remember the <laughs> I, I'm the uh, anyway. So, I mean, I used to explain at seminars just the idea of a, of price, where I'd say if IBM is one thirty bid at one thirty and a quarter, uh, last one thirty and an eighth, I'd say, okay, what what's the price? They'd look at me and they go, what do you mean? What's the price? It's one thirty and an eighth. I go, no, it's not. That's the hit. That's history. If you want to buy it, you got to pay one thirty and a quarter. If you want to sell it, you got to sell it at one thirty. That's your price. And they look at you like you got four heads. But right now, today, VIX VIX is the same way. If I pile in and I don't I don't bother to look or don't have a broker that'll let me know. Right now, if you want to buy the the VIX puts for this afternoon or for Friday, you're paying a forty two vol, not thirty three where the VIX is. Right, mm-hmm. so that's what yeah, you, you mean. The, you, you you mean the SPX option? It, the, uh, well, I'm, I'm talking about the SPY. There's the same thing, pretty much. Okay, all right, yeah. No, you just, you said you said VIX for Wednesday or Friday. Yeah, but I'm saying if the VIX is but, 33. No, you meant, but you meant, you said you said if you're going to buy the VIX option. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Wednesday or Friday. You meant the spy option. Well, what I meant is if you're going to buy the spy options, the volatility right. you're buying is now the implied volatility is a 42. Which is a hell of a lot higher than thirty three. So yeah, that's in. Um, that, I mean, the, the shorter centers, uh, especially, you, you see that. Yep. You totally see that, and you see it. There's a, there's actually a nine day VIX which has the flaws, but you can see it in that relationship as well. So right now, if you're buying insurance, so, you're, you're paying a lot, basically. You're paying a lot, and you're also um, you're you're basically. Doing the same thing that you used to do using the, uh, you know, used to be you didn't have much of a choice and you would have bought the third Friday option and that would be showing up in VIX. Uh, and correct. now it's not. Well, today's. And that right there, you, ju- you just demonstrated what I've been 
banging my head against the wall and trying to get people to understand is that, um, you know, that because we have so many choices and so many shorter data choices, VIX is not re- as reactive to the S&P 500 as it used to be. Well, that's right. And, uh, yeah. But we're also talking about people are very concerned with the movement. I mean, I'm looking at uh, yesterday. Now, we're talking about options that expire tonight. Right? So we're talking one day. Yep. And uh, so the, the straddle tonight is is pushing 475. So in other words, the market, it's the call and the put at the strike, which is, and the, and the, and the spider is 362. So it's essentially almost one and a half percent. We went. We went. How many? How many years did we go? I'm saying this is not attributable to anything he did or not during the Obama administration. Didn't we go 18 months without a one percent move in the market? Oh yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was like ridiculous. And uh, now the over under on today is like one and a third percent. How far we have come, eh? Yeah. Um. Hey. I, I, no. It's complete. It's complete. And 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 you know, and the and Vix was like. At unprecedented low levels, if, if for what you are talking yeah. about there. Well, uh, I'm going to say before there was a VIX, the lowest implied volatility that I ever saw was mm-hmm. was August of '87. It got down to like nine. Yeah, we had a we had about a nine and a half VIX. Uh, no, no, we had. A, I, if I'm doing this right, and, and I'll be very impressed if I remember this number, I think the low for VIX was eight eighty nine. Really. Yeah, I, I, I will do believe we have once or twice that we got a sub nine back. That's that's. Um, I have a big time question because you're our, our worldly man, our worldly man, whatever that even mm-hmm. means. I'm a handsome man too. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. When you get the best cardigans, uh, what uh, this whole time you and I have been talking now for years, we were always kind of stunned at the coordination of the central banks over the last really ten years at keeping yeah. interest rates down and. We'd 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 uh, you know, pour some money in the system, and then so would Britain, and so would Euros, and Japan was the only one to kind of kind of uh, push back on all the stuff and went their own way. But nobody cared about Japan. Now all of a sudden, this coordination, I'm going to say, is gone. We've got our okay. guys here rolling, allegedly rolling off the balance sheet a little bit. And now this morning, uh, London saying they're going to go out and buy ten-year bonds to keep. The interest rates uh, down and, uh, and, uh, and suck them out of the system. I can't imagine with these policy things that these guys got going. If they start fighting each other, what the hell? I, I, I don't. Even, I'm trying to remember anywhere I've even read in history when that was when this started to happen. After all this coordination, what what does this mean, Russell? Well, I, I it's it, you know I think I, I think one of the core things of the when we had the crash in '87. Was that was exactly what you're talking about right now, and that's one of the things that I'm a bit afraid of. You know, so. uh, I went through that. I'm very afraid of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but, but but that was you know it it, it was a currency thing that actually um, sort of triggered some of the things that happened in '87. If I now I was a I was waiting tables at a at a restaurant that was owned by a bunch of stockbroker guys, so. I, I was worried about myself as well, but I was in college at that time, um, and, and I just yeah. But but if my if memory serves me right, there it had something to do with um, Germany was one of the things that triggered the crash. You're, you you lived it, I didn't, so I don't know the, all the exact details. But that's one of my big fears: is all of the, the you know, everybody not working together is going to end up uh, having a pretty negative impact on 
know, a lot of things, not just, you know, not just the British pound. Well, I had, uh... And, and I also heard about one of those talking heads and, and you know, on the many things on my list to look into, uh, I, uh, I heard that, you know, dollar strength has always been a precursor to some pretty bad stuff in the market. I would, I would agree with that. I, I, uh, yeah. we, we can talk, we'll chitty chat a little bit more before break, but after break, I want to, I tried yesterday with Carl, who obviously knows a lot about this stuff as well. I don't know that I, I don't, let's put it this way. I don't know that I'm capable of injecting to the listeners just the size and the importance on a daily basis of these currency markets and how everything else we do pales in comparison. I don't, I don't know if anybody in America, even me, can really even understand that. Oh, it, it absolutely does, and I, I will tell you that that I'm I'm doing a. Uh, it's not really a secret because I tell everybody that I talk to about it. But um, I'm, you know, I, I I had to get on the plane and go over to Australia on short notice a few weeks ago, and that's because I'm working on I'm working on something for the Australia Stock Exchange, which is more than a stock exchange. Um, it's it's basically their whole exchange over there, and. I'm talking to European investors about what their decision-making is behind investing in Australia, and about half of them are just saying, well, it's really based on what I think is going to happen with the currency. Well, sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm not really, you know, then we go in and we buy ETFs and we get exposure over there, but um, a big portion of it, and that, that's true for a lot of international investors. Uh, you know, you can see, it, it's really interesting sometimes to see that the Eurostox 50 is up 20% on the year, but if you adjust it for U.S. dollars, it might be up three. Um, no, that's just a, that's an extreme, but that it, but that does happen. What is the? And it, is there any? Is there any way? I mean, uh, I mean, I know my I know how individual companies essentially hedge all that bet by do it by forward contracts through their bank usually. Uh-huh. Uh, if if I wanted to be an investor in Australia for say the next three or four years, pick a number. I'm a long term investor. I want to be in there in two years. Does anybody even remotely even think of getting a a forward contract on the what's it the Aussie dollars what the the loonie or what the hell what do they call it? Uh, you can well you could you could just you know invest in the currency and put it in bonds over there and then repatriate the currency if you're really interested in the stocks there there are all kinds of country ETFs that give you the exposure that I think may tease that out. But I'm saying, could you? But, but could you get, get a? You get the dollar return. But could you, if you were real, if you're a real stickler for it, could you get a, a, a currency forward contract out to two years? You plan on being in the stack? You probably could. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be, um, you gotta have, you gotta be a big boy and have a bank that'll that'll work with you on that. Or you can, you really want to try to do it yourself. Um, you know, there are currency futures that trade at CME. It used to be a bigger market than it is now, but um, you can do that as well. I mean, you can you can do these things as an individual. You might need somebody to hold your hand through some of the process, but yeah, it's very doable. Yeah, I remember I was part of uh, the CBO was was we were trying. Well, you know, we were trying to buy the uh, Philadelphia Stock Exchange, and at the time, and they, that was that's where they traded currency options. Yeah. And, uh, I did my ma- I did my master's thesis on currency options at the Philadelphia. Well, you know the weird part is we were we were so happy when that deal fell apart because the more we dug into it, they had like one or two customers. Is all I had. Yeah. And then it was in the French franc because there really wasn't any. I don't think the CME had anything in the French franc, did they? No, they didn't. So there was like one or two customers. <laughs> you know, 
Well, that was the weirdest deal. I just give you. A, I don't know. I don't feel how if you were. I mean, you were around. I think when we were doing that, I was on the double secret group. It was. It was. It was their guy's idea. They cut the deal with us, and then they said, "No, this this deal sucks. We don't want to do it." <laughs> it was their idea that that came down to where we approached them and tried to take them over. They're, they're, they called us. They called you and said, "Hey, let's, you know, we we need some help here." Yeah, you know they uh, you know they they still have a little floor in Philadelphia. Really, and um, they're part of the Nasdaq now, but they do still have a little floor in Philadelphia. For stack or options or both? For options. Really? Yep. Well, well, you know what? Nobody yeah. nobody All wanted. operations it. in Philadelphia. Um, I, I I visited it. A few. You know what? I should backtrack. Before COVID, they had a small floor operation. Okay. I don't know if it's still there. So. Well, you know, after break, you can also explain this, that you know all this stuff. Um, one of the reasons we were we had really cold feet about it, because they still had a depository. Oh. And uh, nobody no, nobody wanted to ever do inventory. After break, you could exp- maybe you can explain to us what exactly depository is. Now there's nobody left but DTC, right? Nobody's, yeah. got, nobody's got a depository. Uh Anyway, S&P futures now only down five bucks, and Nasdaq futures down only fifty nine. We got all kinds of stuff to cover after the break, don't we, Professor? Seems like it. Uh, we'll be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading options ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. 
With devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Al. Mr. Matt, Matt, uh, Matt Weber on the board. I was just looking here, Matty, this uh, Biogen Iodec is up 110 bucks on some. Whatever, that's a good day. You got any of that in your portfolio? I don't think so. Um, some uh, good good news on an Alzheimer's drug. Boy, wouldn't the world be a hell of a lot better place if we actually had an Alzheimer's drug that worked? Good Lord. I mean, I don't think there any family members that had that issue, and hopefully you never do, but that's a that's a bad scene. That would be a really, that would be a that'd be up there with polio, for God's sake, if, if somebody could actually do something about it. SP Feeders up up two, up two now. And the SP Feeders only down 41, so we're making a move to the upside here. Dow Futures up two. Uh, we're in Europe. We got a little bit of a comeback here too. Uh, you know, everything's down. It's it's better than it was. DAX down 147, 1.2%. It was like 1.5. Puts you down 64.9. Now they've gone further south. Yet the Cacarons come back. They're only down 52 instead of 1.4. They're 0.9. So stuff is moving over in Europe, which you might expect with the Bank of England kind of going their own way here on a lot of this stuff. Oh, now Asia, different story. Nikkei down 397, 1.5%. Shanghai down 48, 1.6%. Here's the big one, uh, Hang, uh, Hang Seng down 609, uh, 3.41%, 17,250. We were we were miffed, or leading the kind of warnings when the thing went under 20,000, now it's 17,250, we'll get Russell to comment on that. Uh, bonds down 9 basis points, 3.87 after being over 4 for a while yesterday. Uh, Bund down 6, 2.19, Japan unchanged 0.25. UK down 40 basis points to 4.09 as the as the central bank says they're going to start buying 10-year. Totally different than what other central banks are doing. I don't know what this is going to lead to. We'll, we'll get that from uh, Russell in a second. Oil up $1.20 now to $79.70, still under $80. bucks. Ran up $0.98, cents, $87.25. Natural gas down a dime, $6.54. Arbob up $0.02, cents, $2.52. We have Bitcoin only down 6 now, back up over 19000 19061 barely and here's the the story of the month here uh we have actually a bit of a bounce back here the euro is uh, only is only down seven uh, ticks now to 0.95 and the pound which was down almost a, was a, at least a penny now only down 0.71 at 106.61 so a little bit of a affirming there as well Matty, what do you got for us traffic weather sports 35 minutes past the hour. Good morning uh, once again to everyone out there. We're starting to see traffic volumes uh, build up on the area expressways, roadways, and tollways. But those two crashes uh, earlier on I-57 this morning are all clear. Same for that earlier jackknife truck on the Ryan at Roosevelt. Those are all clear, but uh, we're seeing all kinds of... uh, uh, long traffic volume related delays as people head into downtown this morning uh, but no accidents to report we're looking good on the Edens and Kennedy same for the Eisenhower and Stevenson Southside Expressways those ac- earlier accidents are all clear only crash in the area right now is on DuSable Lakeshore Drive the two left lanes are blocked on the northbound side uh, it says uh, just before North Lakeshore Drive so I'm not exactly sure where that is but <laughs> 
two left lanes are blocked on Lakeshore Drive North before North Lakeshore Drive. That's what it says here. So well, not it's sure. It's coming a very north end, but what, what that even means? Yeah, I don't either. But uh, anyway, two. That's the only significant crash we're seeing in the area. Weather today: some sunshine early, then some rain is going to roll in this afternoon. Uh, chilly today, a high of just 58. Right now, it's mostly clear and 49 degrees downtown. Don't worry, we warm back up into the 70s this weekend. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy with a high of 100 today. Right now, it's clear and 99. In sports, Cubs beat the Phillies 2-1. Sox were shut out by the Twins 4-0. Diamondbacks blown out by the Astros 10-2. And the Bears made a couple of roster moves yesterday afternoon, putting injured wide receiver Byron Pringle on the IR. He'll miss at least four weeks. And they brought in linebacker Joe Thomas. Chief. Are you uh, worried Worried like the hot dog stand that they, uh, um, they, they promised everybody a hot dog if uh, the Bears make the playoffs? Uh, I didn't hear that, but that's funny. I, I still don't think the Bears have much of a chance. But if they win on Sunday at the Giants, which they could easily do, I think the Giants are, are slight favorites, probably three-point favorites. But that could go either way. If they improve to three and one, all of a sudden, you know, the, the percentages just become what they become when you start three and one, and they have a legitimate shot of making the playoffs because it might only take eight or nine wins to get there, and you're already a third of the way there. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, their over-under was between four and five wins, um, depending on when and, and where you got it. And so I'd be very surprised if they made the playoffs. They were – their uh, the hot dog stand allegedly, Russell, was calling uh, – <coughs> they, were, they, were, they, were call, they, were, they were calling the Russell Rhodes uh, insurance company to try and buy insurance in case they get in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got, I, I got a funny – since you were talking about activated players – Yep. I got a funny one for you guys. Um, and I can't, I, I got to try to maintain some con- confidentiality here. But um, I teach, I, I have four NFL players in a graduate class. Good for you. Oh, wow. And, well, and one of them is recently retired in a front office. But another one was a practice, practice squad guy who's been a practice squad guy for a couple of years. And he asked for an extension on his homework because he, uh, he got activated and had to play Sunday night, and his homework was due Sunday night. That is the <laughs> best, can I have an extension on my homework, um, email I've ever gotten. I was just cracking up. That is oh, awesome. Great. That is cool. Yeah, he hadn't <laughs> played in the game since, uh, um, uh, geez, uh, I think November of 2020. Did he get and, in? Did he get in? And he didn't tell me all this. You know, of course, when I got the email, I was like, oh, my God, i got to look this guy up. Uh, but, yeah, I have a uh, – I've got – I have four teams represented right now. Uh, none of them are Bears. I'll leave it at that. Well, did he? Did I, he I just love that. I've, I've got to play tonight, and I don't think I'll be able to get my uh, homework in by midnight. Well, did he? <laughs> do you know if he got internet? If he got into the game, he did not. Or if he got it, he didn't. Um, he, there was nothing on the stats that included his name. Oh, but he might. I he might have. Whole, I didn't say. I didn't watch the whole game, but. But he might have done a special team something. You don't know, right? Yeah, I don't know. And so I don't. I don't want to say position or anything. I really. I feel like I'm skirting rules when I just say that. Well, whatever. That, that's that's great that these guys are doing that. I mean, I. I, I oh, it is. It's, I'm amazed more of them. And, and uh, the guy that's uh, not a Viking that, that works for the team now. Um, he said they've got their own NFL player. It's part. It's, it's in a conjunction with the NFL Players Association. Um, and uh, the, the guy that's in the front office with the Vikings now, he says he's on the chat. They have their own chat board for the players only. 
and he said he keeps telling people, you guys should do this thing. The Players Association pays for you. You get a top NBA. You know, and he said, I don't know why more of our guys aren't doing this. they got to be thinking past their career. Well, so, especially if you're in the front office, you start doing these contracts, you got to be able to read them. you got to be able to understand them. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's uh, – and uh, they uh, – over the weekend, he's a Viking. Uh, over the weekend, they had a reunion for a bunch of players from 20 or 30 years ago or something like that. And, uh, and I was joking around saying, is that kind of like you know, scheduling and um, – FBS team for your homecoming because they were playing the Lions. And the Lions are good this year. Uh, you guys want to make sure you had a win. Don't get me started on the the what appeared to be some of the worst head coaching moves in the last minute and a half of the Lions game. They that, you know, that, that's exactly what he said. I didn't watch that game, but I said, I'm, I'm happy to see you guys pull it out. And he said, well, um, he said the last three minutes the Lions coach did make, did make a couple of errors. I didn't know what he was talking about. Oh, God, it was brutal. I mean, I'm sitting there going, this guy's not really doing it. He, I actually said to myself, being being the knucklehead I am, this guy spent too long playing without a helmet, which is, you know, not the right thing to say. But yeah, <laughs> anybody. I understand. Hey, uh, be- before right, we, I'm, a, before, I'm, I'm done interjecting because you had other things you wanted. No, to talk I just about. some of the stuff. I mean, uh, Maddie, I can honestly say, in the 12 years you and I have been doing this, we've had all kinds of crazy stuff happen in the market. I've never seen as many things flying around like this week with the currencies and stuff. I, I never talk currencies to people. I mean, uh, I mean, no, the, and the ball on currencies has been minuscule up until you know the past the past few months. Yeah, it was a very dull market, but uh, you know, I, I haven't been able to put pen to paper on it yet. But it does make sense to me that. Volatility in the currency market does eventually lead to bad stuff for the rest of the market. Is is uh, I mean, I'm, I'm talking going way, way, way back. I mean, when my stepfather was still employed. I mean, he's been dead for a long time. Yeah. Uh, back in the back in the when I was going to grad school, so back in the '70s, when the when the currency markets, when the you know when the when a lot of stuff was happening, the inflation was perking up, and the dollar was just gotten off the gold standard and stuff. It became very, very routine for everybody. Plus, back in those days, you had the individual, you know, the French franc and the Deutsche Mark and stuff. All kinds of people were doing stuff with Europe and Japan. Everybody protected everything with forward contracts. It was just like yeah. the poor. Is is that? I mean, right now, if if you'd have been, I mean, if you would have uh, decided you wanted to buy something from, uh, from, you know, uh, say England six months ago. You're buying ball bearings or something. Are you just are you just five percent to the good, or I guess my question is, is it still you know normal practice for people to get forward contracts in virtually everything they they do overseas, or the people just count on the stability? Or, or I mean, I have no I, idea. I think it depends, and it depends if you're a if if, if you're a U.S. company and you only sell stuff in the U.S and you source things from another country and pay for it in a different currency, you're probably hedging, you're hedging yourself. If okay. you are a multinational company, these things tend to tend to kind of work themselves out. Okay. Because you're paying, you know, you're paying people in one currency, you're paying for, you know, they, they, you, you kind of have a portfolio thing that's helping you with your currency hedging. But, you, I think, I, I'm, you used to hear every once in a while 
a company would have to take a charge because they had mismanaged their currency hedge. You don't hear that very often, and I think part of it's because currency hasn't been very volatile. Maybe we're going to start, you know, we're talking about this. We'll probably hear about it when people start reporting third quarter earnings. Well, I mean, if you yeah. if you were sh- shrewd enough, lazy enough, whatever it was, if you were going to buy $2 million worth of, of uh, ball bearings from London or from somebody in Britain six months ago, delivery today, you're, you're up. You could be up as much as 6% on the deal. Yeah, the the seller, other side, man. Yeah, he's in. But if you if you were somebody from Britain and you borrowed money in dollars and had and had to pay interest in dollars, your interest cost just went up what ten fifteen percent. Yeah, which is which, which again is causing me to ask you, uh, since I can't seem to put my finger on it, this dollar denominated debt in China and these other places. How are these guys paying this interest when the dollar is moving up and they got to pay in dollars? Or are they? They're not. <laughs> yeah. That's what's going to happen. And if you look at the credit default swap market, it, it, it's, much, it's higher than it was back in 2020 right now. There's a credit default swap index that you can take as the likelihood that you're going to see defaults, but they're not. I mean, you've already seen out of China some dollar-denominated bonds that have not been paid, and that situation is going to get worse. I mean, maybe that's, uh, again, I, I, I haven't done the digging, but maybe that's exactly where uh, the issue that the guy on Bloomberg TV was talking about, that, that currency problems are precursors to other major financial market problems. Well, what, what was it a few years ago? Because we, t- we talked about it, maybe when you first came on the show. That mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the the uh, Poland Poland is uh, is Poland use the euro dollar or the euro? No, Poland still uses the Slotnik. Or at least, again, I was there four or five years ago, and it, they did not use the euro there. Well, didn't they? So I'm assume I'm assuming that that hasn't changed. But weren't a lot of the a lot almost all of the Polish mortgages on houses uh, given with uh, in terms of the Swiss franc, and at one period of time the Swiss franc had like doubled compared to the 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 uh, whatever the Polish use, and so their interest rates went up, their interest costs went up like twice or something over the course of the mortgage. I mean, it's, if you're if you're, if you're an American, I mean, other than if you're doing some multinational stuff that my stepfather just happened to do, that's how I learned about it. Uh, you you, have, you you honestly have no idea that this stuff's even happening. It's not like you're a dummy or anything. You're not. No. You're just. It's no, just, you don't. You don't need to know it. It's just. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's just like we don't need to speak anything but English. Right. You know, but if you're, you know, if you live in England and you do business in France, you got to at least be conversational. Yeah, you got to at least do something. So we're 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 in a bubble, and it 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 can it extends to a lot of things, not just uh, not just not understanding how currencies work. I. For the life of me, man, it, it, it is by far my... You, we're talking about my weakest area right now. I even bought currency for dummies. Really? Well, yeah, I, uh, I, it, this is not... I've, I've gotten much better at it, but it, it, it was always my... I think I had a terrible professor in college for international finance, and well, that's why. Well, I, I, I'll mention briefly, because I mentioned it yesterday, my, my Notre Dame education uh, and my high school education did very, very well for me at the University of Chicago, virtually in every class. I mean, I, I almost didn't have a peer in a few of them, mm-hmm. except for one. <laughs> it was international economics. And they, the, the guy had this French accent. I could barely understand him. And there were like three or four of these 
guys that had gone to school and they got their finance degrees in, in France. Mm-hmm. And this guy starts talking about if Credit Ali and A, which I don't even know who the hell they were, I guess that was a lead French bank at the time, they do this and this bank does that, then what happens to Deutsche Bank? And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me write this down. It, 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 it works through this. These other guys had the answer. I'm going, they were so light years ahead of me, it was scary. Because that's all they did all. I mean, that's what they had done their whole life. Is they, is they knew if this currency moved yeah. here, this moved there, and that moved there. And I, I'm sitting there going, say say what? <laughs> I, I was the absolute dopo in that class for a while. I caught up somewhat. But, man, it, if you don't do it every day, you, you have no idea. I mean, it, I, I think. No. No, and, and that's another part of it. And that, what you just said is doing it every day. Uh, it's not second nature. It involves two- and three-step thinking. And much like the derivative markets, if you don't yeah. do it every day, uh, you're just not certain when you're doing things. Well, that's right. I mean, you, know I mean? you got that. You got that. Ninety-five percent. I'm ninety-five percent sure I'm doing the right thing here, but you know, not hundred percent. Well, how, how does how do we get this coordination thing back in the bag? We we, we we can't we can't be having the 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 European Central Bank deciding they're, they're pouring money back in the system while we're pulling it out. I mean, it's going to be absolute chaos if, if all of a sudden we start going our own way. But how, so, how, I, and you're starting to hear some criticism of the lack of coordination. Although I think, you know, I watched Jay Powell's press conference, and I, he got a question on that, and he said, uh, we're, he said, we're all still in conversation with each other, and apparently they had just had uh, a big meeting among a bunch of central bankers. So it's not like they're all out there operating on their own, but on the other side, they do have to take into account what's best for their country first. Well, I, I think that this morning, when I heard on the way in, uh, and maybe that's the reason why we're starting to rail here a little bit, that the uh, the British Parliament basically told their brand new Prime Minister, not today on these tax cuts, what are you doing? Uh-huh. I mean, that was just a, a, a crazy idea because, you know, I mean, it's, it's all, whether you believe in the supply side, I'll let you know how much I believe in it, well, if you believe in a supply kind of crap or not, <laughs> is, is that a definitive statement, <laughs> Russell? That's a good one. If, if, if you believe in the, uh, well, I, I love it. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. Um, but the, but in either case, let's say that, let's say this: if you lower people's taxes, the idea is, if you, I think at some point it works, and some points it doesn't. But it, it if you lower people's taxes, everybody's going to become more productive in five years from now. Uh, things will be better off. Well, first of all, you got to wait five years to see if you're right. In the meantime, you just cut yeah. taxes. You just cut taxes to your buddies. Well, somewhere along the line, somebody's got to jump the gap on five years, right? Between the day, yeah. the, day the day that the, the the receipts to the government go down and they creep back up to where five years you're ahead of the game. Well, if you're going to go out and tax other people or to borrow money for that, I guess you don't disturb the currencies very much. But if you mm-hmm. say Hey, hey, Fed buddy, or hey, uh, UK bank buddy, you print some money for the next five years and we'll give it back to you. If that's what you do, now all of a sudden you got a problem, inflation-wise, right? Yeah. Or even though they, they say they don't, they do. It's about the time. It's like even if this bill with uh, <clears throat> you know Uncle Joe talking about this infrastructure and all this, uh, even if... You know, you put Wi-Fi everywhere, and a decade from now, you get it back in spades. Somebody's got to float the decade. Yeah. 
and, it, and, and it can be and it can be a painful flow. Well, if, if you actually have, if it's you know if it's the uh, Hoover Dam or if it's the Golden Gate Bridge where you sell bonds to people, and you pay interest, and thirty years later you pay them back, it's okay, right? But yeah. if, if you just say, well, we're not going to do that, <laughs> we're just going to print the money for thirty years and hope we get we can pay the Fed back in thirty years, that's a different story, I think. No, it's a, yeah, it's a, and uh, you know that longer-term focus may may make it a, a little bit less crappy to use your word, but still, they they just painted everybody's painted themselves into such a corner that well, I, just, you... I you know I, I I'm I'm at a loss for words as to what I would I, all I can think of is thank God I'm not one of the people that has to make those choices. Well, I I really, I really I really don't know what I would do right. Well, do you did you uh, hear Siegel and Friday ranting and raving? Uh, no. Oh, you got we got to watch that that on YouTube. It's got to be on. Uh, he okay. was he was talking about how the Fed totally screwed up by not raising rates early enough, and now they're totally screwing up even more by raising if they go much higher. And you know what? I am I am right with him, Russell. I. I, I don't. Right now, I don't think we have a quote inflation problem. We have a price level problem of what we did a year ago. I don't. I don't think we're chasing prices up anymore right now. It's it's a delay factor in how we collect them. So I I think if you get to three and a half percent here, and say this is going to be normal for the next ten years, I think we just ride it out. I, I don't think they. I don't think they need. I Go think ahead. you're right on that. I think I I, I I don't think they're going to cut when we do have a recession. I think it, I, I think they're going to. I hope they're going to ride it out unless it really gets bad. Well, but uh, I I almost think that that's the better decision, just to because now we're at you know I don't know if we're at a higher or a low interest rate. I don't know what the new range is going to be, but uh, not. Not cutting immediately at the... You know what? They didn't hike at the first sign of inflation. Right. And so I sure hope they don't turn around and knee-jerk, you know, and, and then knee-jerk cut at the sign of an economic slowdown, which I think already occurring, but that they just feel like we're going to have to let economic forces ride this thing out a bit. And just, it, you know... It, we're just going to, unfortunately, and, and I know this ends up affecting people's lives and it sounds like a terrible ivory tower type of statement, but there's just, they, they set us up in a position where the, the best, worst outcome is just a lot of economic pain for hopefully no more than a year. Um, I would agree. I, I'm going to, I'm going to lab one out there. And, you, you, and, and I, and I hate saying that because, you know, I'm, I was a child of the 70s. I lived through a family that went through bankruptcy, and I know that, I, you know, I'm actually I feel a little sick at my stomach talking about it right yep. now. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there, the other outcome, jacking this thing up, you're just pushing the can down the road, you're kicking the can down the road to make the situation, and it's going to be worse at some point. Well, I'm saying I, my, my uh, strategy would be get to 3.5%, get to about a 1% money supply growth, and just stop there. Leave it there. I, yeah. let, me, let me ask you this. History, someday, somewhere, and it could be you because you do one hell of a job at this stuff. I'm not blowing smoke up your behind, but I love your books. Uh, 
someday, somewhere, somebody's going to write a definitive. Do you think the drop from a, I'm going to say a three and a half percent normal or a three percent normal rate down to half a percent or one? Do you think it accomplished anything to the positive, ever? I mean, when people are screaming to go back there, what do they think that accomplished necessarily? I, I don't think it accomplished anything. Do you? No, not not really. Not yet. Well, if it if it did, what? Why are, is, are are the wailing and gnashing of teeth about how oh, we got to go back down to, you know, one percent Fed funds rate? What? What? Did, what? Other than other than pushing up asset prices, what? Did, what did it accomplish for us? Nothing. Nothing really. And, you know, and I don't know. You know, I don't know if the Fed believes pushing asset prices up is good for. Yeah, is it good or not? Well, it's good for the people of assets. Do they think it's got like some sort of positive impact on? Uh, the overall economy, it does maybe for a, a part of the economy or part of, you know, a portion of the people, but not for everybody. Well, do you think they care about the rest of the people or just that portion? I, I like to believe, and, and I am, I'll be, I'll, I'll be, I'll be considered naive until I'm, I'm six feet under, but I like to believe that they take the impact on individuals into account. Well, next, okay, next week, I, 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 I I like to believe it too, but next week I like uh, to believe it. That doesn't mean I believe it. Well, next week, if you don't mind, uh, we'll, we'll talk about everything that comes up. Obviously, but want to get a little bit of time, maybe fifteen minutes out of you to talk about what have we done to recent homeowners that have a house at three percent that they'll never be able to move because they can't pay six somewhere else. By the way, it was seven yesterday. It went over seven on a thirty-year mortgage. Was it? I mean, uh, what have, that's in What have, what have we done to these people? I mean, if you if you stay there and and everybody has the job and and you live to be you know fifty five, then you can do whatever you want. But if if all of a sudden everybody's got a got, I mean, Nancy was on the other day. She's talking about people that are well, a lot of older people don't have mortgages. But if they did, if you downsize from a five hundred thousand dollar house to a two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar condominium, your your mortgage is the same. I can see that. I that, totally see that. But uh, that, that's not good. No, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, th- I think the you know the, the danger. I, mean, I remember reading this once about uh, when we had lake flooding, and it, we only got thirty seconds. We had lake flooding, and I was screwing up all the, the you know the uh, concrete embutments leading to the for the lake on the south side. They said the reason yep. for it was not the flooding; it was the drought because all the stuff dried up, and now it's no good. It's like it's not the six percent mortgage that's the problem. It's the prices that are assume are that are part of the three percent mortgage game, which is now gone. Yeah. Anyway, drive safe, buddy. We'll talk at you next week. Right. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to have to listen in on a class or something. I, I think I'll learn something. SP Futures now you up. You are. Eight. You know what? They're, they're online right now. You are more than welcome to. You know, Hal wants me to teach a class online. What the hell would I teach? Jesus, I don't know. Just uh, you. You. I could just teach. Turn them all into grumpy old men. Like I'm saying, that. yeah, what am I going to teach? <laughs> I was just going to say, what am I going to teach? Grumpiness? SP Futures up 10, SP Futures <laughs> down 10. Be back tomorrow, Stacks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. 
Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.